Welcome to The Water Tower, a podcast that's a sort of spiritual reservoir or backup plan for anyone who might just need a little extra encouragement to make it through the week. I'm your host, Lee Younger from Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and if you stick with us all the way to the end, you'll hear a full list of credits, including ways to contact us. For now, enjoy episode 57 called Kingdom Dreams by Tom Job.
Everyone, this is Austin coming to you from Ankara, Turkey, and I'm reading to you from Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would be with our brother Tom as he delivers this message, this all-important message. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. That we would have open hearts to receive your word. That Lord, if you would convict me, if you would convict us of sin in our hearts, I pray that we would be quick to repent and change. Lord, help us have hearts like yours. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.
The other day, my iPhone told me, you have a memory. It was reminding me through a picture Tina and I took while on a trip with the kids and grandkids to Washington, D.C. in March 2017. We drove into the city after dark, so we threw our stuff in the hotel on 11th Street and went out for a breathtaking evening stroll. We walked all the way to the Lincoln Memorial and climbed up the stairs and turned around for the unforgettable sight of the Washington Monument and the illuminated Capitol beyond. We turned back and looked up into the intense, almost angry face of our 16th president. And I realized that he hadn't noticed us at all, but was staring over our heads across the National Mall at the Capitol himself. I glanced back to my right to see on the North Wall the engraving of his second inaugural address, his best and maybe the best speech ever given in our history. There were a couple of guys standing there and I overheard one say to the other, did he have a speechwriter write this? Did they have speechwriters back then? I really couldn't help myself. No, fellas, Lincoln didn't use speechwriters. He wrote everything he ever said and I told them some stuff about it. One looked at the bottom of the speech, with malice towards none, with charity for all. Is he quoting someone? No, guys, he wrote that. People quote him. I wanted to add, come on, guys, you're like what, 40 years old? You're at the Lincoln Memorial. You need to do better than this. When he wrote that speech, on the wall, the war was almost at an end, and the president was sharing his deeply personal reflections on the mysterious ways of God in permitting the unanticipated ferocity of the previous four years of conflict. The conclusion that had settled into his heart was that it was very possible that the Civil War was the judgment of God on our nation for the horrors of slavery and racism. What if, he ponders, 
What if God wills that this mighty scourge of war continue until all of the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. Race-based slavery ended officially in America in 1865. Racism did not. A couple of days later, Tina and I were walking around the other end of the mall on a blustery, drizzly afternoon. We wandered past the bronze memorial to U.S. Grant and stood in front of the majestic Capitol building. There was a worker on the scaffolding out front. Is this where the presidents stand when they give their inaugural addresses? Sure is. I thought of the six foot four 16th president, worn out and old too soon from four weary years, only 41 days before his death, standing in that spot as the sun broke through the clouds, they say, as with his clear high voice, he began to read. He ended about seven minutes later with this, with malice towards none, with charity, we would say love for all with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to bind up the nation's wounds and to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. My eyes were filled with tears and my heart raced as I looked at that spot and thought of that moment. They were filled with tears and my heart broke that Wednesday a month ago as I looked at that same spot in front of the Capitol. How could it be that those people overwhelmed and swarmed all over that precious marble? How could it be that it has come to this? Besides the obvious, unrepentant hearts, unrestrained tongues, unrebuked racism and racial hate, Four years of people speaking to and about each other with unbridled antagonism, enmity, and disdain. But how could it be? Across the mall, the intense and decidedly angry face of Abraham Lincoln was watching. The thing that was the most confusing and distressing and disturbing for me was that when all of them were swarming on and through our beautiful Capitol building in the middle of all the chants and threats, violence, flags, and racist and white supremacy symbols and extremism, there were crosses and signs and flags with my Savior's name on them. I didn't know that until I read about it later in the week. And I thought, how could that possibly be? How could they possibly imagine that anyone could possibly imagine that the Prince of Peace, who is the God who is love and who commanded love and who said his own would be known by love and only by love, could sanction those scenes in any possible way. But I guess it's nothing new. From Emperor Constantine to the Crusades, to Kaisers, to the Klan, from slavery to segregation in America to today, 
His precious name has been co-opted and shamelessly used as a sponsor for conquest, insurrection, and oppression, and also for kingdom dreams and illusions of the misguided and of the hate-filled and of the confused. And when anyone tries to use him in this way, he always proves to be a disappointment to them. Do you remember when Jesus walked on the water to his friends in their boat on the sea in the middle of the night? Mark said that he had forced them into the boat and shoved them out at that most unusual hour because of a situation with a huge crowd that was becoming a mob that was about to become uncontrollable. John said they were going to try to seize or capture Jesus and force him to be their king. But he didn't come for powerful places, let alone for power plays of the power hungry or of insurrections born of hateful delusions. He didn't come for this. He did come for them and for you and me, but for the opposite reason than the one they hoped. He came to die and pay with his very blood for all of the sins of all of the sinners that he loved so much, so that realizing how truly sinful and sin-filled we all are, finally facing ourselves truly for the first time and brokenhearted by what we see, we might call on him, even beg him to rescue us and save us, beg him for the gifts he died and rose again to offer, a fresh start and a new heart. This is why he came. And this is why he won't be used for anyone's political schemes that are not in harmony with the prophetically propelled kingdom dreams that live in his heart of followers committed to, and one day the whole earth covered with love, justice, and care for the most vulnerable. This is why he always proves to be a disappointment for those who try. So many didn't imagine that it would end this way, are going to be going to jail for crimes they committed that awful day. One thing I've noticed about crowds in the New Testament is that people in them often wind up doing more and going further than they would have done if they were alone. It's possible that there were some who were swept up that day and found themselves doing more and going further than they would have if they were alone. Maybe there were a few who weren't planning on damaging anything, but they did. Maybe they weren't planning on stealing anything, but they did. Maybe they weren't planning on hurting anyone, but they did. Maybe they weren't planning on shouting horrible things, but they did. Maybe they weren't planning on people dying, but they did. Sometimes some are disappointed with Jesus because he doesn't ever do what they expected him to do. And those same ones end up disappointed with themselves because they wind up doing what they didn't expect they would ever do. But Jesus is a lover of sinners and he came to be a savior of sinners. And now some of them may understand for the very first time that they are sinners too and that they need him to do what he really came to do. 
And maybe someday soon, maybe in a jail or prison, in a correctional facility somewhere, having been wrong about Jesus and wrong about themselves, in that dark space, a light will come on. And someone might call out to the Savior to do what he actually came to do, to save them from their hate and their hate-filled heart. And someone somewhere might give their heart to him, to the real Jesus of love. It happens in jails and prisons every day. And at least one good thing will have come from that dark Wednesday. Our first song today was Come Ye Disconsolate, performed by Ben Bannister. Our second song was In Heavenly Love Abiding, by me. Tom Job, the pastor here at Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, brought our word, and our benediction was from Luke chapter 1 by Nino Mishler, from Zechariah's song. The musical score was Faded by Vesky, used by permission with musicbed.com. And you are hearing this because of Ian Gerther, a dude who's like going home to visit your folks and finding out your favorite mom and pop restaurant in the whole world is still open, still going strong, and still just as awesome as when you were a kid. And our intro and outro music was by the one and only Jed Brewer of The Bridge Chicago. If you have any feedback on any episode or just want to get in touch, please feel free to write us anytime, watertowerpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at watertowerpod. Thanks for listening and may the living water fill you up.